That was Jesse Jang. He is a um, Chinese national level erhu soloist and a horsehead fiddle player. That was the horsehead fiddle that he was playing. He's a member of the Inner Mongolia Music Association, the Chinese Minorities Music Society, and China Horsehead Fiddle Association. I don't think I'm going to be invited into those associations anytime soon. <laughs> but praise God, Jesse is among us. He's a regular attendee at Willingdon, and it's an honor to have him here. He was a professor of Erhu at the Mongolian National Arts University and concert master of the National Folk Music Orchestra. So thank you, Jesse, for uh, playing Amazing Grace and then another worship song. Wonderful. Imagine if uh, Jesse would ask you to come up and play the horsehead fiddle right now. Maybe Ken would do it, but what would you feel? Anxiety? Fear, doubt, confusion. You may question Jesse's wisdom. Like, why are you doing this? Why don't you, Jesse, just keep on playing it yourself? You're the accomplished musician. I'm not. If Jesse was actually expecting you to play, he would have to teach you some things. He would have to teach you how to hold the horse head fiddle between your knees, how to hold the bow, and many other things. And with time, with some good teaching, you would probably learn to play. We all experience these feelings, don't we? Doubt, fear, anxiety, worry. They're common to being human. No ethnic group, no language group is exempt from these emotions. And in the text that we're going to read today, John chapter 15 verses, um, sorry, John chapter 14 verses 15 to 27, the disciples are experiencing all of these emotions and there's good reason for it. What's happening? Well, in the chapters prior to verse 14, in John chapter 11, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And that sign, it provokes a reaction from the Jewish leadership, from the Sanhedrin. They want to put Jesus to death. Uh, Jesus and his disciples, they're very aware of the mounting religious opposition. And so they gather under Jesus' direction in downtown Jerusalem for the Passover meal. At that meal, uh, John 13 says that Jesus loved them to the end, that he washed their feet. And at the meal, he says to his disciples, one of you is going to betray me. And that statement, it provokes a conversation, some discussion among the disciples. There's tension in the room. And then Jesus tells them that he's going to depart. And where he's going, they cannot go. So how will these disciples go on without Jesus? They're being tested. The revelation of truth, it often comes in moments of confusion, of crisis, of uncertainty, of impending loss. In that moment, Jesus delivers what has become known as the farewell discourse, John 14 to 17. It's a wonderful window, magnificent window into the heart of Jesus. The heart of the Father. If you want to know the heart of Jesus, the heart of the Father, read John 14 through 17 this weekend. Jesus prepares his disciples for his departure. What's he going to say? 
on this night of nights. John chapter 14, verse 15. These are the words of Jesus. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I live with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Amen. Jesus says, verse 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. He says something very similar in verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And then verse 23, again, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Whoever does not love me, verse 24, does not keep my words. This is the first time in the Gospel of John that Jesus speaks of the disciples' love for him. So four times there, if they love him, they will obey him. They will do what he has asked them to do. Does that feel burdensome? When you hear Jesus say to you, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Can you do what Jesus asks you to do? What has Jesus commanded? Well, in chapter 13, as we said earlier, Jesus loved them to the end and he washed their feet. And then he said in chapter 13, verse 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And then in the same discourse, in chapter 15, Jesus says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And if you were a disciple sitting there, you may have said, Lord, I don't seem to be able to love in that way. I'm actually not that given to washing other people's feet. I don't lay my life down for others very easily. How, Jesus, can I love the way you do? There was mounting opposition to Jesus, as we said. Jesus was leaving, and he said to his disciples in that moment, John chapter 14, verse 1, let not your hearts be troubled. Imagine a disciple there. I find myself being anxious about many things, Lord. 
You telling me that you're going to leave and I can't go where you're going, it actually does not help me. I get anxious when things appear to be just spiraling out of control. Jesus said in chapter 14, verse 1, believe in God. Believe also in me. Trust me. I really want to trust you, Lord, but I fear what's coming in the, what's happening in the coming days. Forgive me for my unbelief, but I'm just having a real hard time trusting you right now. Jesus said in chapter 14, verse 12, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do. What? How is that possible? Greater works than you, Jesus? I'm confused. You say, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. I'm not even sure what to ask sometimes. Jesus says to his disciples, I want you to do what I have done. And the disciples probably are thinking, how? How will this happen? And so Jesus says in John 14, verse 16, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. So Jesus, what he promises to do is to secure another helper. That word helper, it's often transliterated into English as paraclete. You may have heard that word Paraclete. Paraclete is literally one who is called alongside to help. It's translated in many different ways into English because we just don't have an English word that translates it in an adequate way. So it's translated as advocate, encourager, exhorter, supporter, advisor. Probably the best translation of paraclete is one who strengthens the helping presence. Imagine the best helper you could ever have. Imagine someone that has helped you in your journey. On a construction site, for example, an apprentice will come alongside a seasoned construction worker. And the role of the apprentice as they work together is to anticipate what the construction worker is going to do. So to be there with the measuring tape, the nailing gun, the lumber, whatever the construction worker needs, he needs to anticipate what's coming next. He helps. Or imagine a dental office. The dental assistant prepares the dental chair, prepares the patient for the dentist. And so the dental assistant needs to know what the dentist will need. Uh, Previous exams, uh, x-rays, water, dental instruments, things that will be needed to treat, to scrape, to examine, to restore, to extract. We're all squirming now, except for the dentist. The dentists are smiling. The helping presence is the best help the disciples could ever have because he will be with them all the time, now and forever. He will be with them all the time, now and forever. So, Jesus is leaving. For the disciples, is it like they were driving a Lexus, and now they're going to be driving small, compact cars? Or if you're a biker, is it like you were riding a Goldwing or a Harley, and now you're on a small scooter? 
is Jesus leaving them just this massive downgrade? They can still get from A to B, but it's going to take a really long time, and it's going to demand tremendous effort. Jesus refers to the helping presence as another helper. The language, what it indicates is it's another paraclete of the same kind as the first. Get that. In other words, the first paraclete is Jesus. Jesus is referred to as the paraclete in 1 John chapter 2. He was this encouraging, strengthening presence in the lives of his disciples. But he's leaving. Another paraclete of the same kind as the first will be sent. He has the same personality, the same mission, the same power as the first paraclete, Jesus. And Jesus says to his disciples, you already know him. So the helping presence is the best help the disciples could ever have because he will be of the same kind as the first helper, Jesus. So this is definitely not a downgrade. The another helper is the of the same kind as the first helper. To have the spirit is to have the son. Actually, Jesus has an upgrade for his disciples. How can I say that? Well, listen. John chapter 16, verse 7. Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. How could it be to the advantage of the disciples that Jesus leave? Well, Jesus says in verse 17 of John 14, you know him, the Holy Spirit, for he dwells with you. Jesus, the first helper, he's been with them for three years. The Holy Spirit has been in and upon Jesus the whole time. What have they witnessed? Well, at Jesus' baptism, John the Baptist sees the Holy Spirit descending on John, and John says, Jesus will baptize with the same spirit. Then they have witnessed Jesus proclaiming the kingdom with power. They have witnessed Jesus performing signs and wonders with power. And then Jesus says in John chapter 7, verse 38, at the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem, whoever believes in me, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. If you've been near the Fraser River recently, there is a lot of water coming down. Jesus says not just a river, but rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. And Jesus says in chapter 14, verse 17, you know him, the Holy Spirit, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Did you notice the slight transition? The change of prepositions? Not just with us, but in us. Not just for us, within us. The Holy Spirit will be present in the lives of the disciples in a new and more intimate way. Jesus will be even closer than his days on earth. E. Stanley Jones, a missionary to India, he said, you cannot get any closer than in. Amen? You cannot get any closer than in. 
in just in case we haven't understood. The Holy Spirit will be indwelling Jesus' disciples forever. The presence of Jesus will be universalized after Jesus' death and resurrection. He will no longer be restricted by space and time. Emmanuel, God with us, realized through the Spirit, Jesus himself in his disciples. So the helping presence is the best help the disciples could ever have because he will not only be with them, but in them. Not only with, but in So the another helper is actually an upgrade for the disciples. Jesus in them no matter where they go, present for all time, in all circumstances. So if you are a disciple of Jesus, there is no place on earth so dark that Jesus is not there with you, in you, by the Spirit. There is no circumstance in life that you go through so complex that Jesus is not with you in it. There is no season of life so difficult that you go through that Jesus is not with you, in it, in you. Hallelujah. Do we live that reality, my brothers and sisters? Did we go through our week knowing that the Holy Spirit was present in us, Jesus in us? Based on what Jesus says in the following verses, it appears that the disciples still need some reassurance. So he says in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. Orphans, of course, was a word used for children without a father. It was also used for disciples without a master. And so Jesus said, I will not leave you as children without the father. I will not leave you as disciples without the teacher. End of verse 18, I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Manifest. That word manifest is to reveal, unveil, to make visible in a, in a clear, conspicuous way. How will Jesus manifest himself? Well, obviously, after his resurrection, he appears to his first disciples. But throughout the ages, Jesus has continued to manifest himself to people around the world. D.A. Carson, in his commentary on the Gospel of John, writes, This must not be construed as merely a creedal position, a theological position, just a, a thought, a doctrine. No, the Spirit is to be experienced. Otherwise, the promise of relief from the sense of abandonment is empty. So the indwelling helper, the helping presence, the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus to us. Jesus says, John 15, 26, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. The helping presence, he bears witness to the first paraclete, Jesus. The Spirit knows Jesus like no other. 
loves Jesus like no other. He is passionate about making Jesus known. He always leads us to Jesus. If we're full of the Holy Spirit, we know and love Jesus. This is the month of Ramadan. It began on Wednesday, uh, May 16th. And this is a wonderful opportunity for us as Christians to pray for Muslims because Muslims that come to faith in Jesus, they often come to faith in Jesus through a personal encounter with Jesus. Jesus manifests himself to them in a dream or a vision. Jesus draws them to himself by the work of the Spirit. Be in prayer for Muslims around the world during this month as they fast. The helping presence is the best help the disciples could ever have because he will not only be imagined, but he will be experienced. He will be experienced. Judas, Judas, uh, not Judas Iscariot, Judas the son of James, one of the other disciples, he has a question. Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? You see, Judas, like the other disciples, he expects Jesus to inaugurate the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Israel to come, uh, the Romans to be defeated, to be expelled from Israel. How will Jesus manifest himself to the disciples and not to the Romans? Chapter 14, verse 23, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home, our room, our dwelling place with him. So going back to the Old Testament, God manifests himself in the tabernacle. He is present in the temple. And then Jesus is born, and God is with among his people. After Jesus' death, Resurrection and ascension. Father and Son will make their home in the hearts of the disciples. Through the helping presence, the kingdom of God will come in the lives of those who follow Jesus. So the church, we the church, each individual disciple, the sacred space on earth indwelt by the Holy One. Can we get our heads around that? Is it possible for, possible for us to even begin to comprehend what that means? What an astounding reality. We cannot comprehend the breadth of it, the height, the depth, the length. It's beyond us. But oh, we need to sit in the presence of God and say, Lord, what does this mean for you to abide in me by your spirit? And then in John 14, verse 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, in my name. So the Holy Spirit is not just Jesus' substitute. He is Jesus' representative, Jesus' emissary. His mission is to continue the mission of Jesus. Just as Jesus came in the name of the Father, the Holy Spirit comes in the name of Jesus. And then Jesus says, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So the helping presence is the best help the disciples could ever have because he will teach the disciples all things. 
all things. Can you imagine how important this was for the first disciples? The Gospel of John tells us that quite often they don't understand what Jesus is saying, what he's doing. They will proclaim the Gospel. They will write the Gospels. They will write the letters to the churches. How can we have confidence in the Scriptures that we read? Jesus says, John 16, verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. So the scriptures will be written according to the helping presence. Each letter of the New Testament, each gospel written by the spirit of truth, he will not provide new revelation, he won't provide independent revelation, but will provide teaching that could not have been taught before Jesus died. After Pentecost, the helping presence will remind the disciples of everything that Jesus is taught, and they will understand the implications of his coming, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, Pentecost. This is why the New Testament is so alive, because it is the very breath of God. And what Jesus says here, it has a broader application as well to all disciples, all disciples. The helping presence will teach and guide all disciples, will guide us. John writes in 1 John 2, verse 26, he's writing to the church, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Jesus, he's the way. John chapter 14, verse 6. He's, he's the truth. He's the life. He is God's reality defined. The Holy Spirit, sent by the Father to abide in us, is the spirit of truth. One of his functions is to be a teaching presence. So the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, he points us to Jesus, the truth. He accurately represents truth regarding Jesus. The Holy Spirit peels back the layers of truth for us. We're not left to figure out truth on our own. Hallelujah. The deeper we go, the bigger the onion gets. But what the Holy Spirit teaches us is true. He imparts true knowledge of God. He's present in true worship. He convicts us of sin. He gives us the mind of Jesus, Paul writes. He makes us like Jesus. Who is the best teacher you ever had? Think about it. Best teacher you ever had. I remember when I was seven years old, I was trying to play soccer, and I would kick the ball with my toe. A British soccer coach moved into our neighborhood, and he looked at me, and he said, Ray, you don't kick the ball with your toe. You come up over the ball, and you kick it with the top of your foot. Just that little adjustment, and you have more power, more accuracy. You can curve the ball this way. You can curve it that way. Teacher. When I was learning the Portuguese language in Brazil, my Portuguese language teacher, she worked on phonetics with me week after week, tirelessly. And she said, Ray, 
It's not about speaking, it's about hearing. If you don't hear the language, you will never speak it. Do you want to sound like a gringo or like a Brazilian? So she encouraged me. She exhorted me. Good teacher. In a previous job, I had to do a lot of administration. I'm not a great administrator. But I had this day with the administrator of a large nonprofit. He spent eight hours with me just asking questions, making suggestions, helping me see what I couldn't see. A good teacher. Who's the best teacher that you've ever had? The Holy Spirit is infinitely better. Infinitely better. Because he knows all things. He knows you. He knows what you know, what you've learned. He knows what you don't know. He knows how you learn. He can teach you. So Jesus, when he says to us, hey, if you love me, keep my commandments, he doesn't expect us to try to do it on our own. He has sent the helping presence, the Holy Spirit, to teach us, to teach us to pray, to love, to serve, to give, to lay our lives down, to share the good news, to exercise faith, to trust. If Jesus called you to to play the horse head fiddle, the Holy Spirit would help you. And then there's one more thing, really important. Verse 27. Look at what Jesus says. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Don't don't be disturbed. (laughs) Disciples, don't be anxious. Don't be timid. Don't be cowardly. I give you my peace. What kind of peace does Jesus give? The disciples, they were living during a time known as the Pax Romana, so the Roman peace. That peace had been won, accomplished, maintained by the Emperor Augustus through the use of a brutal sword. So will the peace of Jesus require an even greater sword? Jesus, through his suffering and death, he took the sword. He absorbed in himself the sin of the world and he brought the promised peace. Peace was secured by an innocent man suffering at the hands of Romans, Jews, all of us, taking all your sin, all my sin upon himself, all our hatred, our pride, our selfishness, our bitterness, our malice upon himself, paying the price for it. And through his death, opening the way, opening the way for us to be at peace with God when we repent, forgiven for all our sins, reconciled with the holy, righteous, just God, the Holy Spirit sent to reside in us, Jesus himself, the Prince of Peace in us, now and forever. So the helping presence is the best help the disciples could ever have because he'll be the peace of God within them now and forever, always.
If you've never given your heart to Jesus, listen to this. Jesus says to you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Our society, every society throughout history has been powerless to give peace. It just doesn't have the resources to deal with hatred and pride, with selfishness and bitterness, with doubt and fear. The world can promise peace. It can wave the flag of peace. It can negotiate and arbitrate for peace, but it cannot give peace. The only one who can give you and I peace is the Almighty God, and He sent His Son, hallelujah, to give us peace. And He has sent the Holy Spirit, the helping presence, to convict us of sin, to lead us to repentance for sin. He opens our eyes to the need of Jesus, our Savior. He leads us to surrender our lives to Jesus, to surrender to his leadership. He leads us to open our hearts to Jesus so that we may be made alive spiritually, no longer dead. I remember before I gave my heart to Jesus, I felt so dead. But if you're a disciple of Jesus, you know that Jesus has made you alive. And if you aren't a follower, the Holy Spirit invites you to surrender to Jesus, to be reborn by the Spirit, full of the peace that transcends all understanding, Jesus himself in you, the Prince of Peace. Amen? Amen. Let's stand for prayer. So if you are are here, uh, Jesus invites you to know him. And if you've never prayed to receive Jesus, there's a prayer that's posted for you. You can pray through that. And all of us will just take a moment to be silent and to invite the Holy Spirit to be at work in our hearts, in our lives. Father, thank you for sending your Holy Spirit. Forgive us for our unbelief, our doubts. Forgive us for sometimes neglecting the gift of your Spirit. Forgive us, Lord. By your Spirit, teach us to pray. Teach us to love. Teach us to share the good news, to live the good news. It's such good news. Oh, Holy Spirit, thank you for gracing us with your presence, to help us, to to encourage us, to convict us, to counsel us, to strengthen us. Father, may we live the reality of your Spirit. May we walk in the fullness of your Spirit. Lord, may we do the works that you have called us to do, anointed us to do, called us to do from before the foundation of the world. May we embrace all that you have for us. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. These are your words in Scripture, Lord. Far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the work, to the power at work within us. Your Holy Spirit at work within us. To him be glory. To you, Jesus, be glory in the church throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Uh, Go by the International Festival.